So he was reading from Romans chapter 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Such a strong statement of God's sovereignty. But the question before us today is, what does that sovereignty look like in the life of a Christian? What does Calvinism look like in the life of a Christian? We're in Lesson 3 now of a six-part series by Ian Hamilton titled Calvinism and the Christian Life. And this is the uh, third lesson that we've been confronted again with four pulse beats of Calvinism. These are pulse beats that manifest themselves in the lives of every Christian. The first being a breathless wonder. What does breathless wonder look like in the life of a Christian? Two examples that we are given today are uh, it manifests itself in doxology and it manifests itself in prayer. But more than doxology and more than prayer, it manifests itself in a sense of being overwhelmed by the work of God in our lives. Last week we asked the question, what is this overwhelming? Is it just a feeling or is it something deeper than that? Well, let's look at the next three pulse beats to give us a little more of a sense of what this overwhelming sense is talking about. The second pulse beat was a grace-restrained humility. Grace-restrained, it points to and it honors God's sovereignty. It's a, a humility that confesses, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. This is an overwhelming statement. The third pulse beat was an exalting adoration, an exultant love. Calvinist, Calvinist is a, uh, a person who is a lover of Jesus Christ. In Christ, or by grace, we are being brought into the love that the Father has had for the Son since before the creation of the world. This is an overwhelming feeling. The fourth pulse beat was a wholehearted consecration, a wholehearted devotion. Because by grace we have been brought into the marriage union between Christ and his church. Grace is personal. Grace is God giving himself to us. This is overwhelming. What I'd like to do today is start to put some of this knowledge that we've been gaining into practice to become a little more familiar with the pulse beats that we've been discussing by way of an application. I brought with me today a book called Pilgrim's Progress, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. But I'd like to focus in on chapter 5, where Pilgrim, or where Christian, who is a pilgrim on his way to the heavenly country, is journeying with his companion, uh, whose name is Faithful, 
and they come across another man, also on the path, whose name is Talkative. And this is the dialogue that goes on between them. First faithful, are you also going to the heavenly country? I am going to that same place, replied Talkative. Here he professes a devotion. Then I hope we may have your good company. Come on then, Faithful says, and let us go together and let us spend our time discoursing of things that are profitable. Talkative replies, what thing is so pleasant and what so profitable as to talk of the things of God? That is it that I said, for to talk of such things is most profitable, for by doing For by so doing, a man may get knowledge of many things, as of the vanity of earthly things, and the benefit of things above. Thus, in general, and more particularly, by this a man may learn the necessity of new birth, the insufficiency of our works, the need of Christ's righteousness, etc. Besides, by this a man may learn what it is to repent, to believe, to pray, or the like. Here we have uh, Talkative's identification that repentance and belief, prayer and suffering, all of those things that are attributes of a breathless wonder are things that he holds dear. By this also, a man may learn what are the great promises and consolations of the gospel to his own comfort. Further by this, a man may learn to refute false opinions, to vindicate the truth, and also to instruct the ignorant. I would like us to ask ourselves again, what does Calvinism look like? Is talkative a Calvinist? Is talkative even a Christian? Here, it sounds like he's a Calvinist. As I look at as I look at uh, here at Faithful Statement, all this is true, and I am glad to hear these things from you. Alas, replies Talkative, the want of this is the cause that so few understand the need of faith and the necessity of a work of grace in their soul in order to eternal life, but ignorantly live in the works of the law by which a man can no, by no means obtain the kingdom of heaven. Faithful replies, but by your leave, heavenly knowledge is the gift of God, and no man may attaineth to them by human industry or only by the talk of them. Talkative replies, all that I know very well, for a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. All is of grace and not of works. I could give you a hundred scriptures to the confirmation of this. Does this sound like a humility? The humility that we're looking for uh, in grace-restrained humility. Faithful replies, Well then, said Faithful, what is that one thing that we shall at this time found our discourse upon? Whatever you will, replied Talkative, I will talk of heavenly things or things earthly, 
things moral or things evangelical, things sacred or things profane, things past or things to come, things foreign or things at home, things more essential or things circumstantial, provided that all be done to our profit. This sounds like a devotion that we were looking for. Now did faithful begin to wander, and stepping to Christian, he said to him softly, What a brave companion we have got. Surely this man will make a very excellent pilgrim. So faithful is convinced. But Christian looks at him and smiles modestly. Faithful replies, Then am I in this man greatly deceived? Oh yes, said Christian, you may be sure of it. Remember the proverb, they say and do not. But the kingdom of God is not in a word, but in power. He talketh of prayer, of repentance, and of faith, and of the new birth, but he knows but only talk of them. Here, clarification, I guess, is that we do not have a breathless wonder. I have been in his family, and I have observed him both at home and abroad, and I know what I say of him is truth. His house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savor. There is there neither prayer nor a sign of repentance for sin. Yea, the brute in his kind serves God far better than he. He is the very stain, reproach, and shame of religion to all that know him. Thus say the common people who do know him, a saint abroad and a devil at home. His poor family finds it so. He is such a churl, such a railer at, and so unreasonable with his servants that they may neither know how to do for or speak to him. Men that have dealings with him say it is better to deal with a Turk, that is an unbeliever, than to deal with him. For fair dealing they shall have at their hands. This talkative, if it be possible, will go beyond them, defraud, beguile, and overreach them. Besides, he brings up his sons to follow his steps. And if he findeth in any of them a foolish timorous, for so he calls the first appearance of a tender conscience... He calls them fools and blockheads, and by no means will employ them in much or speak to their commendation before others. For my part, I am of an opinion that he has by his wicked life caused many to stumble and fall, and will be, if God prevent not, the ruin of many more. The soul of religion is the practical part. Pure religion and undefiled before God And the father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted before the world. This talkative is not aware of. He thinks that in hearing and in saying will make a good Christian, and thus he deceiveth his own soul. Hearing is but the sowing of the seed. Talking is not sufficient to prove that fruit is indeed in the heart and life. And let us assure ourselves that in the day of doom, men shall be judged according to their fruits. It will not be said then, did you believe, but were you doers 
or talkers only, and accordingly they shall be judged. Faithful replies to all of this. This brings to mind that of Moses, by which he described the beast that is clean. He is such a one that parteth the hoof and cheweth the cud, not that parteth the hoof only or that cheweth the cud only. The hare cheweth the cud, but yet is unclean because he parteth not the hoof, and this truly resembleth talkative. He cheweth the cud, he seeketh the knowledge, he cheweth upon the word, but he divideth not the hoof. He parteth, parteth not with the way of sinners, but as the hare, he retaineth the foot of the dog or the bear, and therefore he is unclean. The rest of this chapter goes on to describe how faithful is encouraged by Christian to engage the person of talkative in, in terms of uh, interacting with his sin, bringing to light uh, the need for uh, real manifestation of the work of Christ in your life beyond just talk. And talkative, when confronted with his sin, rejects the whole idea and leaves the presence of the two faithful and Christian on their journey. What I'd like to ask here about talkative is, is he a Calvinist? Is he a Christian? What is Calvinism? When we look at the doctrines of grace, we have a, a statement which summarizes it as, you know, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But is this Calvinism? Would, would talkative affirm such a statement? I, I would argue that he would affirm this. This is a statement that he would be plenty happy to talk about for long periods of time. But going beyond that, would he make the same statement that Calvin makes about his concept of Calvinism, if he would call it such a thing, or Christianity? Would he also confess that God subdued my heart to docility? He could not make such a statement. This is where we find the truth of what Calvinism is all about. Um, we have it summarized again in terms of the sovereignty of God from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I've also heard it stated that Calvin, if you're looking for an understanding of what Calvin's real perspective on Christianity is, it's best summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism. We've been going over the New City Catechism, which draws very much from this catechism. And the first question in here, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and has delivered me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, 
all things must be subservient to my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing to be ready henceforth to live unto him. Ready to live unto him. This is how Christianity manifests itself in our lives. Uh, We have uh, about 12 more minutes, and I'd like to take this time for conversation or for discussion if anybody had questions about topics that were presented today by Ian Hamilton. Good way. Um, So the statement is that uh, that Calvinism uh, is is uh, just as Ian Hamilton has suggested is manifest in the life of a Christian. It's manifest in the pulse beats that we've learned about. It's more than a theological construct. It's more than just a doctrinal idea, but it actually is real in the person of Jesus Christ and manifests itself in the lives of a Christian. Uh, so I, I never heard the, uh, the, the term grace referred to in the way that you just did until I started being exposed to uh, Protestant ideas. Um, and when I first heard it, 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 uh, it took me aback a little bit uh, because um, it seemed to me that that was, um, while that would be an attribute of grace, it is not what... Grace is much, much bigger than, than that idea. Um, I'm glad that in this series, he's presenting grace as more than just what it's, what it's not. You know, that it's, that grace, he, he expresses it as grace being, grace is something that is personal. Grace is something that, that's God giving himself to us. Um, grace, grace is the... Grace is not somehow separate from the person of, of Christ. And, and uh, when we receive that grace, it, it is God's, God's power manifest in this fallen world. Um, it's, and it's so from that understanding, it's, it's much greater than just uh, us getting what we don't deserve. But certainly that does give us a good context for understanding what God is doing here. And, and that's what happens when you separate truth from the person of Christ as well, that, that uh, certainly truth is available to all by common grace, but uh, we, we fail to really understand what truth is when we separate it from the person of Christ. He also connected the word gospel to Christ as well. I, I heard this, uh, this past weekend um, a, a friend of mine who... Uh, is a missionary uh, to Muslims interacting in a debate with a Muslim, and and, and the context was the Muslim saying, um, "I see in your in your Bible that you have a gospel according to Luke, a gospel according to John, a gospel according to Mark. Can you show me where the gospel according to Jesus is?" Right, but because because he's looking, he looks at the word gospel like it's um, it's like it's something apart from the person of Jesus, right? The, the, the correct response to a statement like that is that Jesus is our gospel, right? It, the, the gospel is, is what has been revealed to us about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
and these ideas are not separable. But when we do separate them, then there's um, all sorts of shortcomings that are associated with that. Anything else? Right. Right. So ha having right doctrine does help um, put uh, your that that belief that you have into context. Uh, we were talking about this idea uh, yesterday that that certainly you know our our we are not saved by our works. Um, but that doesn't mean that the works are not present in the life of a Christian. Um, but when we look for that assurance that we have been saved, we look not to ourselves. We look not to what we have accomplished in and, in and of ourselves, but we look to the person and the work of Christ. And it is in, in Christ that we find our salvation. It is in Christ that we have that assurance. Um, but when we do that, it, they, there's... It cannot help be, but be manifest in the life of a Christian in terms of the work, in terms of the fruit uh, that is in all of their life. Anything else? Okay, um, well, that's all I have for today. Hopefully it was edifying. Hopefully it gives you a, a different idea about the sovereignty of God. We've been learning uh, in Frame's book uh, about the theology that backs up the sovereignty of God. And now this is a little bit of a different side of things where we learn about how that right perspective on God's sovereignty actually manifests itself in the life of a Christian.